0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hi, Brett. And Nelson. And Nelson. To a special edition. Yes, a special edition of The Practice Aren't they Podcast. they special? Well, indeed they are. This episode is a recording of a panel discussion from our... Bast Amron's fourth annual business advantage forum. Actually, this one's not a panel. This one is uh, It is not a panel right. where you interviewed a celebrity guest. I did interview a celebrity. I had a conversation with a celebrity, former heat coach Ron Rothstein. The heat coach Ron Rothstein. The first ever coach of the Miami Heat. That's right. And that took place on November 4th of 2021. Now, the forum is a learning event that everyone should know about by now. I mean, you know, come on. We host it and we underwrite it every year with all the proceeds donated to a charitable organization. This recording is from that very session, Jeff, that you mentioned. In sports, winning isn't everything, or is it? Taking lessons from the field into the office, where we give or we do not give, Participation awards. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoy this episode, we will be releasing more recordings from the forum on this special podcast. The practice. And please enjoy or join us whatever you want. Join us and And enjoy enjoy. both. I I think you should join us and enjoy it when you do for our next forum in 2022. In person. I sure hope. Oh, (laughs) let's hope so. You can find information on our website at www.bastamron.com. I am very excited about our guest today, Coach Ron Rothstein. Coach is someone I've known for a long time and respect greatly, but I've never really had the chance to ask him some in-depth questions about his career. And today I get the chance to do that. This is a man that needs no introduction. There are a few highlights that I'd like to go over with you guys. Coach has had a remarkable career, spending over 50 years in and around the game of basketball at the highest levels. He's been front and center to some of the most iconic and memorable moments in NBA history. And he's coached and worked with some of the most legendary names in the game. He's served in various roles as a scout, an assistant coach, head coach, and TV radio analyst for the Atlanta Hawks, New York Knicks, Detroit Pistons, and Miami Heat, and the WNBA's Miami Soul. He was the first head coach of the Miami Heat and the first head coach of the Miami Soul. He was on the heat bench for all three championships and with the Detroit Pistons during their playoff and NBA Finals run in the late 80s. Overall, he coached in nine Eastern Conference championships and six NBA Finals. In 2017, he received the prestigious National Basketball Coaches Association Tex Winter Assistant Coach Lifetime Impact Award. You can now see Coach on TV breaking down the action during heat games or on the sidelines of any of his grandchildren's sporting events. The man is an amazing example of what we should all strive to be. Welcome, Coach Rosty.
1: Thank you, Brett. Pleasure to be here. Excuse the earphones. I don't know if you can hear me. There's drilling in our building, and I can't <laughs> control that.
0: I'm sorry. No worries. no worries. We can hear you just fine. And I know we only have a short time with you because you have to get to a production meeting for tonight's Heat game. So I want to jump into it. You played basketball in high school and in college at the University of Rhode Island. Your uncle played for the Knicks in the 40s. Your father played AAU with your uncle and Red Holtzman, who was a Knicks coaching legend, a two-time NBA champion, and a Hall of Famer. To say you grew up around the game is a bit of an understatement. What about your time as a player and being around the professional game at such a young age helped prepare you to be a coach?
1: I don't know about being around the game at such a young age. I think it led me to where I wanted to go. I always loved, I mean, I I was born into a basketball family. Basketball was a big part of everything everybody did. I grew up with the game. I played the game at a very early age. So it led me in a direction. Playing in high school and college pretty much shaped my vision of what I wanted to do when I became a coach. There's no question about it. You You mentioned my uncle. My uncle, Leo Gottlieb, was the high scorer for the Knicks in the first NBA game ever played game that was just on, when the Knicks played Toronto the other night, because the first game was November 1st, 1946 in Toronto at Maple Leaf Garden. And uh, that was 75 years ago. My uncle was a high scorer. As I said, he had 14 points and Knicks won 68, <laughs> 66. And he also told me that he was the guy who made the pass to a guy by the name of Ozzy Sheckman, who made the first basket in the history of the NBA. And later he told me that if he knew it was going to be such a big deal, He never would have made the pass. He would have shot it himself. (laughs) But um, but growing up, my high school coach was my idol. And I I always knew I wanted to coach. So, you know, I started out as a high school coach. Teaching and coaching was what I always wanted to do. And as things progressed through, I was a high school coach for 19 years. But then I started to do some scouting for the Atlanta Hawks. And that's what led me to my uh, opportunity to jump to the NBA. And... During
0: your time in high school, coaching in high school, what are some of the lessons that you learned during that time that sort of helped you, gave you sort of the framework to jump to the NBA and sort of have such a storied career as a coach?
1: I started to work at the Five Star Camp, which was a legendary camp for the top high school players in the country back in the 70s and the 80s. You know, we had players, you might know these names Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing. Dominique Wilkins when they were high school kids and all the best players came through that camp. And I started working there and I met people like Hubie Brown, Mike Fratello, Rick Pitino, on and on and on, Bobby Knight, Chuck Daly. And I said to my wife one day, I said, you know, all these guys are moving on. I think I know as much as these guys. I think I'm as good as these guys. I think I want to try the pro game if the opportunity presents itself. And then Mike Fratello offered me a chance to, uh, scout for the Atlanta Hawks. Hubie was the head coach. Mike was the assistant. Mm -hmm. That was the uh, 1979. And while I was a high school coach, the last four years I was a high school coach, I did part-time scouting for the Hawks. And that's what led me to the pros. I actually thought I knew everything. I always thought I knew everything. And then I learned I didn't. (laughs) I got to the next level and found out there was a whole new world. But I had the opportunity to learn from some great people. And uh, it started with my high school coach. And then as I went along and my entry into the NBA with Hubie and Mike and Chuck Daly and people that I worked for and with was a great opportunity for me to learn from people who had done so much.
0: And learning by observing and listening to what they were doing and what was going on around you.
1: I was also privileged to see the visual of what was being talked about and what was being taught and how it was being taught. That was invaluable. You can talk and talk and talk, but until you're actually experiencing visual, visualize what's going on, that's a different story altogether. And then being part of that culture, being part of the day-to-day operation and you learn how complicated the business was. It was a simple game, but it's a complicated business. So part of being a coach or a leader
0: in business is finding that leader, right, or leaders among the pack. And it's not always the star or the most obvious individual. How did you go about finding those leaders during your coaching career?
1: You really have to let it evolve. If you try and force leadership in your team setting, I found that it doesn't work and it can really backfire against you. And your leaders, as you said, are not necessarily your best player. We've had instances, I've been part of instances in different franchises where the best player tried to lead and it was for us, it was, it just didn't come off the right way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it was bad leadership, but it wasn't good leadership. Dynamics in the locker room, I guess dynamics in any setting, interpersonal relationships and how people view one another and work with one another and how people trust one another. See, If you're going to have a, a really good team in terms of basketball, there has to be trust. There has to be trust in the locker room from player to player. There has to be trust from player to coach and coaching staff to players and trust in that coaching staff. It's huge. It's never talked about that much. But in my experience, it's the most important thing other than talent to predict your success, how good you're going to be. Yeah, and you
0: said it, right? Trust. And trust, I think, is super important, not just in sports, but in business and leadership, right? There has to be that belief in those around you that are leading you, that you have faith in them and that they're genuine and that you you have trust in them.
1: No question about it. And it just has to evolve. You can't force it. You just can't force it. But one thing I'll tell you that I found out with NBA players, veteran NBA players, is when they look around them and all of a sudden they, realize we got a chance to win this whole thing. Veteran players are willing to do things they hadn't done since junior high school. I'll give you an example. Yeah. In 19, 1987, 88, my first year with the Pistons, the beginning of the bad boys, Adrian Dantley was traded to the Pistons the day after I accepted the job as assistant coach and Dantley was one of the leading scorers in the history of the NBA. He's a hall of fame player. Six five post-player. The only guy I ever saw foul Jordan out in consecutive games. Adrian was a vet. Jordan was still a pup. But Michael was coming on strong. In the seventh game of the Eastern Conference Finals, and at the beginning of the season, no one had ever predicted we would be there. And now it's game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Pistons at Celtics. End of third quarter. We're winning 81-80. There's a loose ball, and Adrian Dantley dives headfirst after the loose ball, connects head-to-head with Vinnie Johnson, and gets knocked out cold. He's lying on the floor. They bring the stretcher out. They carry him out. He wakes up just before they put him in the ambulance. He has no idea where he is or what happened. They take him to the hospital. We wind up losing that game in the last 30 seconds by three. And AD goes to the hospital in Boston, and they keep him overnight. We fly home after the game. The next morning, I call his house to check on him, speak to his wife. And she says, Coach, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. She said, you know, Adrian and I have known each other since junior high school. I've been to or seen every game he's ever played. And he was a 12-year veteran at that time. So all through junior high school, high school, college, and 12 years in the NBA, she has seen a few games. And she said to me, what got into him? I have never, ever seen him dive for a loose ball. And I said to her, Dimitri, that's what guys will do when they know they have a chance to win a championship. And I learned that early on in my career. Guys, will they're willing to join up and throw their hat in the ring. And, you know, the other thing is there's peer pressure in there. When everybody knows they got a real chance, everybody starts pulling on the rope the same way at the same time. It's really interesting.
0: So I would imagine that some of the other players that see this veteran doing that, right, they get empowered to do more, like you said, and everyone sort of rallies around that. When they see their opportunity, they see veterans, they see everyone else stepping up.
1: They see the opportunity and they feel empowered to do more. We got a guy from the Phoenix Suns by the name of James Edwards the same year. Mm -hmm. Seven footer, really good jump shooter. His reputation was he was soft, got rebounds that came to him, couldn't rebound out of his area, could score, but he wouldn't defend. So he's with us two weeks. We're in practice and there's a loose ball and he dives on the floor in practice. Our guys went after it in practice. They went after each other and um, he's on the floor scrambling for a loose ball. So His nickname was Buddha. After practice, I walked up to him. I said, Buddha, let me ask you a question. You know you're a rep. I mean, you're on the floor diving in the mud in practice. When was the last time you did that? He said, coach, I figured I better join up. (laughs) 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 That's the way it
0: goes. Right, right. So we'll find out about why he was called Buddha uh, maybe another time. Yeah. (laughs) So lessons are learned, right? When we fall short of expectations, whether they're our own or those put on us by others, some would call those mistakes or failures. In that vein, how did you and the rest of the Heat coaching staff bring the team with Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, together in 2011 and 12, after the 2010 and 11 season ended without a championship?
1: That was interesting because if you look at the history of the league, all the great players that came in, other than Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird, all the other great players that came into the league, it took them anywhere from three to seven years to win their first championship, or eight years. Bill Russell changed the game, the way the game is played, but he joined a team that was ready to win. Same thing with Magic Johnson, same thing with Larry Bird. but they put those teams over the top you look at all the great players that came in after that, and I'll use Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, LeBron James as examples, they didn't win championships until their seventh year. So you have to go through, basically, you have to go through the pain of losing, experience what it's like to have had that chance, and learn your lessons the hard way through that pain, and know what that pain is to be willing to sacrifice enough. Be willing to not set your ego aside because your ego is what put you there, but to understand this, these sacrifices that you have to make for the greater good. Then you have a chance to win until you do that. And until that team around you becomes ready, you may get close, but winning a championship is hard. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to be with three championship teams, but I was also on three other teams that were in the finals and didn't get there. And most of the time it was because it was the first time, but the second time you knew how to do it now.
0: And so do you think that's what happened from 2010-11 to 2011-12? and 12?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It, look, we were up 2-1 in 2011, and we're up 15 with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter in game four to put us up 3-1. We had Dallas ready. We were ready to knock them out. And we fell apart. From that point on, we lost that game. Then we lost the next two. And we did not play well. And look, LeBron really, he owned it. I mean, he didn't come out of his house for two weeks. Dwayne, he owned it. Our best players owned it. The coaching staff, we owned it. We went back and dissected everything. And then presented to the team... This is what happened, and this is why, how we can correct it. And everybody owned it. And you know, the next year when we won, it was interesting. In the Eastern Conference semifinals, we lost game one to New Jersey, and then won four straight. In the Eastern Conference finals, I can't remember, I think we won game one, but we beat the Pistons, who we had lost to the year before. I'm sorry. We beat, I think it was the Pistons again in the East Income, or it might have been Indiana. I don't really remember. But then we got to the finals against Oklahoma City. The first game was in Oklahoma City, and we lost. And game two was in Oklahoma City. But breaking down the film in game one, it was pretty clear what we needed to do. And when we got together for practice the next day, in the film session and then on the court, we presented what happened, and this is what we had to do to correct it. If we hadn't suffered and gone through what happened the year before, I'm not so sure that would have been we would have been as successful. We then won four straight. So I just believe, I really believe because of my experiences, and it's not only with the heat, I went through it with the pistons. Mm -hmm. I went through it in Indiana one year. You need to learn and be able to correct your mistakes through your experiences, your shared experiences, and you need to understand the pain of not succeeding
0: yeah and there it sounds like there's got to be honesty trust authenticity not just from the leaders but from those the players or in business you know the team members there in order to realize what you may have fallen short on have honest and open discussions to fix whatever may have happened that led to the failure
1: there's another factor that goes into our particular situation mm-hmm. There's two other factors, really. Number one is the health of your team. If your best players are not at the top of their game, and in order to be at the top of the game, they need to be healthy, physically and mentally. They need to be in good space, and their bodies need to be healthy. If they're not, it's really hard for them to perform at the highest level. It's just really hard. And I have been on teams who have not been particularly healthy, and I think it's been a major factor in us losing that championship. The other thing is the bottom line in our sport, like in you guys have, a, everybody has a bottom line. The bottom line in our sport is, can you make enough shots? Does the ball go in the basket enough? But there's a lot of factors that go into that. But if you're not making enough shots and the ball's not going in the basket enough, okay. you know, pretty hard to be successful. It's really hard to win a championship at one end of the court. You've got to be good at both things. And you got to be at the top of your game. But winning a championship is, is really, really difficult. Yeah. But boy, is it great when you do it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really, it's like this flood of emotion yeah. leaves your body. And you just sit there and you're just like, Phew. So I would agree with you
0: that mental and physical health, yes, in sports. But I'd say that applies anywhere for people to perform right at the top of their... Best, whatever their profession may be. Um, so I, I think that applies across the board. I agree with that. I love that. In terms of going through it, right? Do you see sort of a trend in today's game and with teams and star players looking to win immediately? Coaches and getting fired after one year. Players leaving in free agency, demanding trades after a short stint. You know, for me, it's like in business, people looking for young people looking for instant gratification, instant success. It sounds like, you know, you need a little bit of gray hair. You need a little bit of failure or
1: challenge in order to sort of bust through. If you look at the teams in the league that are championship contenders, you very rarely find young teams. Mm-hmm. You win with veterans. You win with guys who have been through the wars. You win with guys who have suffered and want the opportunity to win a championship. Listen, we're just a part of society. Okay. we are. The NBA is a bunch of guys that are making a ton of money because the money is there. Okay. The collective bargaining agreement guarantees them 50%. People don't understand that, but that's a whole nother story altogether. But instant gratification, ego, being responsible to a lot of people, supporting a lot of people, people relying on you. There's a lot of pressure on NBA players to perform and succeed. It's a very complicated business. It really is. But yes. There is selfishness, there's ego, there's I, 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 and when you get rid of that and you get players that are willing to buy into we, 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 and us, 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 see, players want to win, the bottom line, players want to win, Mm -hmm. but on whose terms? If they want to win on their terms, you're not going to be successful. If they're willing to win on our terms, now you have a chance to be successful. A team
0: approach, team concept.
1: Yep. Yeah. Team game. This is a team yep. game. So as you look back on your
0: career, Coach, what lessons of leadership stand out most? What are the, some of the key traits that stand out most to you? In terms of players? Players, coaches, leading players. What has led to success that you've seen?
1: I think one of the things that, well, first of all, in terms of coaching, if you don't have enough talent to coach, you're not going to be very successful. That's the bottom line. Okay? It's a talent-driven game, and you win with talented players. As a coach, I've always thought that you could impact a game and maybe take a team. If you're a high school coach, you could probably take a team from level two to level four or five. If you're a college coach, you could probably take a team from level three to level four, maybe level five. If you're a pro coach, you can take a team, maybe one level. You need talent. but Finding leadership in that talent is really, really important and sometimes really hard because you may have a group of really talented players with no natural leaders. And then you need to step in and try and sort of force the issue. Sometimes guys are, especially guys who are not playing a lot are unwilling to step forward and be the voice of that team. And sometimes that can be really hard to find. And if you don't find leadership, There's a good chance that team is not going to be really successful, no matter how talented they are. As far as a coach is concerned, being a coach and being a leader, I think, look, you got to be honest. You have to be who you are. If you try and force something, those guys are going to know right away. You can't be make-believe in that locker room. You can't be make-believe in front of players. You walk out on that court and you're teaching and, and putting things together. If you don't know your subject, if you're not prepared, and you try and fake it, you're going to fail. You need to be prepared. You need to know your subject. You need to be honest. And you need to you need to have open lines of communication. The longer I'm in this business, the more important open lines of communication have become. And that was not always an easy thing for me, to be honest. And sometimes it was a failure on my part, to be honest. But you learn through your mistakes. You know, hopefully I've learned over the years. Luckily, I don't have to go. I haven't lost a game in eight years. I'm undefeated. I'm undefeated in the last eight years. I go on TV. I draw some things up. And people actually think I'm pretty smart right now. Oh, my God. I'm no longer that dumb coach on the sideline. You know, it's easy now. Being a coach, is being a leader is difficult. Yeah. It's not a part-time job. It's not a part-time. It is a full-time job. And when you're a head coach in the NBA, it's 24-7. And I knew at a certain age, I didn't want to do that anymore. Being an assistant was much more comfortable for me.
0: So I don't think anyone would ever call you a dumb coach on the sideline. I uh, um, no, I've been I, called I'm going to correct you on that.
1: I've been called worse. Trust me.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So we only have you for a few more minutes. I'd like to, if okay with you, do a lightning round. I'm going to give you a few names. And if you give us one word or a phrase to describe them, that would be great. Is that okay? okay. That. Yeah, we can try. All right. Pat Riley. Loyal. Dwayne Wade. Spectacular. LeBron James. Different. Chris Bosh. Special. Udonis Haslam.
1: Iconic. Coach Eric Spoelstra. I want to use a word, and I don't want it to sound <laughs> like a put-down, but it's like overachiever. Okay. I know where he came from. I know mm-hmm. how he got to where he is. Mm-hmm. So he worked hard. As hard as anybody. Yeah, I've never been
0: around. And last, Ron Rothstein. Lucky. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't think that's true. Well, say- me,
1: trust me. Trust me. It's true. Well, I think we're
0: all lucky, but it's what we do with that luck or that opportunity, right, that leads us down the path to success. And so I think you've done done a remarkable job of that. And I can't thank you enough. This has been great. I can't thank you enough, Coach. I know you have to run to a production meeting and the Heat uh, against the Celtics tonight. And all I can say is, again, thank you so much. And go Heat. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn,
1: Facebook, and Instagram at best amron